What's up, competitors? This week on the show, I'm gonna tell you why you've gotta get your perspective in check. Welcome to the Compete Every Day podcast, a weekly show to help you harness the power of competition to be better than yesterday. Hear each week from performance leaders, coaches, and experts on the benefits of competition and how you can use it to win at work and in life. And now, your host, Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day, Jake Thompson. And we are back with a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Welcome back to the show if you're a longtime listener. And if this is your first episode diving in, I am so, so excited you're here. My name is Jake Thompson. I am the founder and chief encouragement officer here at Compete Everyday. And I'm excited to welcome to the show this week former tennis player and current touring coach, mental performance coach, Christopher Williams. We dive into the importance of perspective, how that perspective guides what we do, how we look at our own lives, what decisions we make, and really where that translates to playing the game of tennis as well as playing the game of life. You're going to get a ton out of this episode, including a way to find a process that helps you on your specific path to success. How you can build your own self-awareness. One of the most valuable things you can have is self-awareness. So how do you build that self-awareness for playing on the court and playing the game of life? And then most importantly, how can you develop a growth mindset to live a well-rounded competitor's life? Chris and I are going to dive into all of that here on the show, and I'm excited to be able to share that with you. Before I dive into this week's episode, I've got to tell you about a couple of big things that, man, at November 13th, when this episode drops, it is just one, one week away. That's right. In 10 days, we have Black Friday, and everybody knows your inbox is flooded, your social media feeds flooded, probably your cell phone's flooded with every company telling you exactly what they're going to do, what's going on, what releases, what sales. And Compete Every Day is doing something special this year. And so this is an opportunity for you to get ahead of the game. If you are not already in our free Facebook group, you've got to go immediately to facebook.com slash groups slash Compete Every Day. The members of that group will get first access to our Black Friday specials, which include five new shirt releases. We've got five brand new shirts and tanks. We have eight posters that you can hang up in your office, your gym, uh, your garage, you name it. We've got new designs, new content coming out. And the awesome, most awesome part I should tell you about is our 2019 Shirt of the Month Club releases. Now, we've done a Shirt of the Month Club for the last five years, and I'm not even exaggerating when I tell you that this year it is the best offer we've ever had. It's less than $21 a month for the annual plan. Not only do you get a free brand new shirt delivered to your mailbox all year long, but you get a wristband, sticker, surprise goodie. You get free access to our competitors book club that launches in January. You get your own 25% off discount code that you can use all year long. That's right. Anything else you want to go in the store, you've always got that code active and available And for a select number of you, 30 in all, we are offering a Champions Club that will also include some one-on-one mentoring, coaching, and a number of other valuable assets, including 
50% off all of our online courses that are dropping in 2019. I told you we've got a ton of awesome things coming on Black Friday. And so get inside that Facebook group so that you get word before everyone else. I don't want you to be listening to this episode. You didn't join the Facebook group. The Champions Club sells out for the first 30 competitors. The Shirt of the Month Club, the first 100 people have signed up. They get a special surprise and you missed out on all of that because you didn't pop in the group. So now that we've talked shop, now that we've talked about what's coming for Compete, let's dive into this week's episode with Christopher Williams talking about perspective. Coach, welcome to the show this morning. How are you today? Jake, I'm I'm doing great and I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor. We've been connected a handful of years now through Compete. And so I, I'm familiar with you and, and your work, but I'd love for you to give listeners just a quick snapshot uh, of who you are and where you are so that they have a better idea as we're going into today's talk. Sure. Um, well, uh, my name's Christopher Williams. I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, I currently reside in Dallas, Texas. And Jake, I'm not even sure if we've gotten that far yet as, as to... Uh, let me know that I actually live in Dallas. I don't know if I'd mentioned that yet, but <laughs> I do live there and uh, and love it. Um, and uh, I actually would like to think that um, sort of toward the beginning of Compete Every Day, um, I was I was uh, around the social media and following um, what your message was, and that was back um, when I was when I had just started um, on tour with my first player, and uh, the message. Uh, was resonating with what I was trying to to coach with, and it was fantastic. Uh, but a, a little bit, a little bit about me. I uh, played um, I played tennis pretty much my whole life, and kind of came from a tennis family. Um, and uh, played two years of collegiate tennis at uh, Wofford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Um, and then two years finishing up at the University of Tennessee. Went back home for for those two years. Um, and then I uh, finished at Tennessee um, doing a master's degree, and that was in uh, kinesiology with a focus in uh, sports psychology and motor behavior. And during that time, I was also um, assisting uh, as an assistant coach with the um, Tennessee men's tennis team, which really gave me the opportunity um, to be connected to sort of the world that I'm in now because those teams that I was around and very fortunate to be around were very, very good and very high level. Um, uh, so that, that connected me with um, some of those guys who were trying to play professionally after college uh, or even leaving early before college. Um, so in 2012, um, a very cool opportunity where my cousin was actually on the team and, and he was, um, a very, very good player. He decided to um, leave school and, and go pro, and he wanted me to travel with him. And at that time, I kind of kind of thought that I would stay in collegiate coaching, and that was um, that I was interviewing for jobs um, in college, kind of thought I would stay there, was loving it. Um, and then he asked me to go on tour with him, and everybody I called for advice said, you know, do it. You should go. You're – you're young and single and you can travel the world. And, um, and I, and one, one, uh, one friend of mine who's actually the head coach at Virginia now, Andres Pedroso, he said, uh, specifically, he said, look, you can go and you can learn about the game, 
on a global scale. And those words resonated with me. And I thought, gosh, I mean, okay, that sounds pretty good. Let's do that. So, <laughs> so I did that. And, um, we were on, we were on tour for two years. And, um, after that, I've, uh, we were two full years and then, and then, uh, we kind of moved on and, um, that sort of opened the door for, um, many other, um, tour coaching opportunities, ATP, WTA, um, I've worked with males, females, um, at, you know, almost the highest level. I haven't had any grand slam champions yet, but <laughs> we're all, uh, sort of looking the same direction. And, uh, very fortunate to be around a lot of high performers, um, very good at what they do, very professional. Um, and yeah, so right around that 2012 time, that was sort of when, when I came upon compete every day. And, uh, and, uh, I guess if I can keep talking about myself for just one more second, yeah. I'm not sure I enjoy doing that too much, but I'll, I'll keep going. Cause I got one <laughs> cool story, but the, so compete every day, I, I kept seeing them all over Twitter and I, I was working with Ryan, Ryan Williams. That was the, that's my cousin. And we, we were going out on tour and I was, uh, had just finished the master's degree. And so I was super into obviously mental training, sports psychology and process orientation. And I thought that the, the word compete just was able to completely embody everything that I was about in my coaching philosophy at that time. And it has since, you know, evolved a little bit, but I think at the core, um, compete is still right there at the center. Um, because it is, it is completely process. It takes out, I mean, we all know that we want to win. Um, but if we're able to stay extremely task oriented, um, you know, then, then we can hopefully, perform better and perform at our best uh, and sort of even free ourselves up to be our best. So that was something I thought was super cool. So I, I got, I bought everybody in the family a compete every day shirt. Uh, and I sort of told them, you know, we're all in this together. It was a family coaching situation. And, uh, and I said, everybody gets a compete shirt and here's why. And, uh, and uh, so that was kind of, uh, I mean, we have, I don't know, we, we probably contributed to a, a fair percentage of the sales of those, <laughs> of at least those beginning t-shirts and uh and we just love them i i mean i wore one today when i was working out this morning so i always travel with some so i just think it's super cool i'm, I'm just so happy to be on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> well thank you i uh i appreciate it especially you know as, as you're building things in those early years you're just trying to connect with people and hope that resonate uh, that message resonates and so i i appreciate you sharing a little bit of that and and how it got connected with you I'm interested a little bit in your professional journey because as a an ATP coach, you also do so much work beyond the physical aspects of the game, but with the mental side. And tennis in a sport where you're really out there by yourself, uh, similar yeah. to wrestling, like there's no one else out there on that court with you except that opponent. What made you start doing more and more focus on the mental side of the game and really dialing into how can I help these athletes when they're out there and isolated, not get in their own way mentally? Sure. Well, I think that, um, yeah, I think that my, certainly my opportunity to, to do the, the master's program opened me up to sort of this whole new world of uh, peak performance and understanding why things happen and um, sort of the mechanisms behind 
um, you know, high performers and mental training and uh, that kind of thing. And, and that, and even in that program, we were, I was exposed to um, a bunch of different sports and coaches across a lot of different sports, which was great. Um, so, you know, that was pretty cool. And that has definitely influenced the way that I coach. And I've always sort of thought that I start from the mental side and then kind of get to the tennis side. Now it's a kind of a complicated um, way to do it because you you do have to, if I don't know anything about forehands and backhands or strategy or tactics, um, you know, or court movement, I, I can't ultimately communicate with the player. Um, so I have to, I do have to have that sort of base knowledge of tennis. And thankfully I, I, I played, I, I was quite an average player. I mean, I played pretty good division one tennis, but, um, I never had aspirations to be a pro. I was always more interested in the coaching side. Um, so I have a, a good enough base knowledge to be able to communicate and even know what it's like to be in certain score situations. And so that allows me, that sort of opens the door to, um, having the, the mental coaching conversation. Um, but to me, it's just so obvious that, you know, everything is about, um, situations um, and, and being aware and understanding why something is happening. So it's not, it's not necessarily, um, it's not always footwork related or, 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 you know, missing in the net or missing long. And, and I think that it, it, it is the, it is those things, but why is it those things? Why did you miss it long aside from just the technique um, so to speak? Um, and you'll find that something, um, you know, some sort of mental trigger was involved, you know, most of the time. Um, and I think that a lot of players are out there competing and they're unaware of that, you know? And so they're out there and they think they'll come off the court and they'll be, they'll be up five, zero, you know, a set in five, zero, and then they'll lose seven games in a row. And they'll be going, gosh, you know, I just really should have made more serves. And it's like, well, you know, losing seven games in a row is, is pretty intricate. <laughs> I can guarantee yeah. there was something else going on that, that really shifted the momentum against you. Um, and then it, and then it snowballed, you know, and then you weren't able to, you weren't able to sort of put a stop to it. Um, and all of that to me is, uh, is mental. And, um, and then to sort of answer your question about it being a, a lonely sport in some aspects, and it's very true as a, um, as a tennis coach, you know, all, all the tennis coaches, they really, they wear a lot of hats. You know, tennis is not until you get to the super elite levels is not a very lucrative sport. So, uh, you have to, you have to invest, um, intelligently and invest in, uh, in performance teams that support you that, that can perform, you know, different tasks. Um, you know, they're a tennis coach, they're, uh, maybe they're a physio too, or, you know, they're helping you manage your, you know, your life skills. And, um, and then they're just preparing you the best they possibly can so that you can go out and, and compete on your own because your, your, uh, the work is done. When you step on the court, there's no more coaching. Um, it's, it's against the rules to, to communicate with your coach. Um, once you take court. So, kind of an interesting challenge um, from the preparation standpoint. Yeah, it very much is. And I'm always fascinated 
because after just research and reading numerous books, you see differences in obviously those individual sports like that versus team group competition. What have you found in your experience have been with the players you've coached specifically, the differences between men and women from the mental aspect of competition out there on tennis? Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I've worked, um, I've worked with one, uh, one specific WTA player. Um, and so I don't have a wide range. I wouldn't say I have a wide range on the women's professional side of, uh, or a large, um, sample size, maybe so to speak, I can tell you that, um, she, and then what I could observe from the, her fellow competitors were that they were extremely detail oriented and, um, could be very easily, um, uh, communicated with, um, because I, from my standpoint, I would say they had just, there was lower ego in some ways, um, with on the women's side. Um, and I would say it was a positive because they were more receptive to larger bits of information. And so the, and then on the male side, um, there were more things to sort of grind through and, and sift through when you're trying to really have a genuine um, very, very genuine conversation with someone about something that, uh, you know, it may be difficult, maybe difficult to hear. Um, and so that is sort of, uh, that, that would be the best way I know how to describe it. I think that there is more open communication from the get go, um, with, uh, the females than with the males. Although I do spend a lot of, a lot of energy trying to, um, trying to communicate that sport is sport. And I think we understand there, there are some different um, areas of physicality between male and female, but that, you know, uh, and, and, and even tactics, just the way that the game is played, but sport is sport. Tennis is tennis court is the same size, uh, you know, nets the same length, same height. Um, and so I spend a lot, quite a bit of energy just trying to, uh, to communicate that because I feel like, um, between the two sides, there is, uh, there, sometimes there's not as much, there's not a, there's not as much respect as there should be for, for, for either side. And that comes from both directions, you know? So that's kind of something that I try and, and communicate. <clears throat> yeah, no. And, and that's fascinating. I, um, the book top dog goes into all those details and differences. And I always find it interesting with coaches and how they approach coaching men versus women from a communication standpoint. And that's why I was interested in hearing that approach and how they process information. I I had a conversation recently with uh, a championship rugby coach that works with youth sports and he works with uh, boys leagues and, and girls leagues. And he talks about when he's giving instructions for new skills, with the girls team, if he tells them why they're doing it and then walks through the steps, he said they go out there and execute it almost flawlessly. They take all the information, they process it, and then they execute. Whereas with his guys, he has them run just a bunch of different drills similar to wear them out and then explains the process to them and why it was important that they did it and have them redo it and do it correctly the second time. And he said they seem to absorb it. So he's, he's learned that approach differently, which communication that's 
varies obviously outside of sports. So you just tend to ranch up the pressure situations a lot more times in sports. And so that communication is even more vital in those moments. Uh, what do you see in players you've worked with that have transitioned past sport? One of the things that you're proud of in terms of a, a mental skill or strength or, or habit that they developed during their athletic playing days that they've been able to use and apply past their career? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, you know, the, the major things that, that they're going to learn, um, you know, in terms of what they've, what they've trained and what they've developed on the playing field versus off or, or transitioning off. I think, you know, one of the things, one of the first thing that comes to mind is um, self-awareness um, and just being able to recognize, um, you know, sort of step outside of themselves and say, okay, wh- where am I? who am I right now? What am I doing? Um, instead of reacting to situations and not, you know, being aware, um, and, and, and having sort of an action plan based on your level of awareness. Um, and then saying plans, I mean, I would say just preparation in general for, um, difficult situations. Uh, you know, that's important and something that they learn. Um, and then, uh, and also visualizing, uh, different outcomes, you know, sports tough. Uh, you know, you can, you can, sometimes you can plan all you want. Um, feel like you're playing great and come off a training block of a month long and, and the ball's coming off the strings like it never has before. Uh, and then you go and, and you play and you forget that the guy, you know, the, the opponent across the net is, um, also trying to win and may have also had a training block and is also playing great, or maybe he's not. And maybe he just, maybe just seeing the ball big that day and he takes you out and you're going, gosh, you know, that's not really what I, what I had uh, expected. So being able to deal with that adversity and sort of bounce back and then get back to focusing on your process um, is, is something as a skill that over time, I mean, even if you're not accept, you know, accepting that from the get go, I mean, in tennis and in every sport, that's going to happen enough. I mean, you better, you better make a change because it's going to happen almost every week. Uh, very rare that you go away with a, with a trophy. So, um, I mean, in tennis specifically, you pretty much lose every week. It's, it's very common. So, um, and then with that, I think coupled with that is just the general idea of managing expectations um, because and that that's quite good. And that's just a life skill as well. You know, that's, I'm going to go in here fully prepared, but I also can sort of visualize these different outcomes. And that's, that's, you know, that's me managing the situation, uh, managing the expectations of what, what can happen so that when something happens, I'm not quite as surprised. Um, and I'm better able to deal with it. Um, I'm not having a, a, an unbridled emotional response to something that goes wrong. I can just say, Oh, okay. Hey, that's, <laughs> I've seen that monster before sort of now I'm just sort of methodically going through my process again. And so I think that's something that's very applicable to life that um, tennis players and athletes, um, you know, if they're, if they're on a good path, hopefully they're learning that kind of stuff. Would you say that's probably the biggest lesson you took away from playing or was it something else you learned growing up playing the sport that you, you look back on as kind of one of those biggest life lessons for you? Um, I think communication for me was, was huge. I have to be a good communicator. Um, I don't claim to always be a good communicator, but I know that I have to be, or at least trying to be. Um, I learned that different coaches were able to, um, 
deliver information differently. And that some coaches, I understood what they were saying. I understood the concept, but I, I didn't, uh, I'm not sure how to describe it. Not that I didn't believe them, but I wasn't fired up about it or it didn't make sense to me completely as to where I could feel like I'm confident enough to go out there and actually do it in competition. And then some coaches were, would say certain words and I thought, gosh, I've never heard it like that before. That makes total sense. And then immediately I'm able to, you know, to do that task um, or to understand that situation. So I think communication um, uh, and then also motivation probably from uh, in my collegiate days, um, you know, managing a group of people, those are sort of the things that stand out to me um, that, that helped me when I was, when I was a player and I was sort of on the other end of it. What, uh, let me ask it this way. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. What do you wish that athletes had learned or from a, a mental skill side, you wish they had learned or developed going into when you're working with them? For instance, I'll ask high school coaches, what do you wish players had learned in youth sports getting to them? College coaches, what do you wish uh, high school athletes or youth athletes have learned before they transition into college from a mental standpoint of being an athlete? Yeah, Um, I would would say, and and this is extremely difficult, uh, and it varies by individual, but it's hard to avoid. Uh, I would say somehow just more perspective on life and how big the world is. Um, everything else that's going on in the world besides tennis, whether that's family, anything culture wise, um, appreciating, uh, the city that you're in, um, just having some sort of, um, greater worldview, um, you know, growth mindset about, about living. And I think that that's the most difficult thing because a lot of these players, um, they it's tennis, tennis, tennis. And I just don't want my athletes to be one dimensional. Um, and, uh, so I think that, and so some of them that going to college and most recently I've worked a lot with, um, uh, a lot of the top college players that are transitioning to the pro tour and, you know, that, that varies by institution. Obviously college does sort of give them a little bit of that, but I just, I so wish that. And I also believe that if they have more perspective on life, it'll sort of create more gratitude for what they're actually doing as an athlete. It's like, Hey, look, you're out here and you're playing tennis for a living. You know, it's not so bad. Um, and that's something that I, I find myself always coming back to, and I just sort of wish, I I know that's kind of like this, it seems very (laughs) like, well, that's kind of hard to do. You know, you're asking for them to be well-rounded individuals, but I just, I, what I'm really trying to say is that, um, I think it's so detrimental if, if their, uh, their life is only tennis. And then the reason the, the, what I'll say to support that is when you're on the road, um, you know, 30 weeks out of the year, there's only so much time that you can spend or even should spend on the court training, which means you have a lot of downtime. So what else are you going to do with your time? Um, we certainly don't want them to be, you know, sitting in the hotel room, you know, constantly scrolling through social media or watching YouTube videos. And that's the only other thing that you do, you know, so it's, 
trying to trying to create an environment. Um, that's what I wish. I guess they had a little bit more of a head start with, um, you know, other other activities that they like doing. Yeah, and and perspective shapes so much of what we do. It, it shapes how we handle adversity, and you know, just in that specific sense of players going through a, a losing streak or something they're they keep continually are getting stuck with understanding kind of the bigger scale of life outside of that sport can also help them balance out dealing with those pressures and and that stress of it of understanding at the end of the day this is a game you want to win you want to be great at but you're incredibly privileged and honored to be able to play and it kind of puts helps put those things in perspective so you when, when you walk off the court you can leave some of it on the court and it doesn't just weigh you down in every single part of your life. Right. Exactly. I love that. Okay, coach. So if people have enjoyed some of the stuff you're talking about today, if they want to learn work you do or follow along online, share with us what your website is, the best social media to follow you and follow the work that you're doing. Sure. Um, well, my website uh, that I just launched very recently is um, CPAT Williams dot weebly.com and it's c-p-a-t-w-i-l-l-i-a-m-s dot weebly w-e-e-b-l-y dot com and i i kind of just got to the point where i um i decided i wanted to share um some of the mental skill stuff that i that i talk about every day and then i tried to it was a very fun process trying to put together um some of these different packages that i feel i can offer um, you know, to, uh, to any kind, any, really any level of athlete. Um, my website's pretty simple and it, it does sort of, uh, seem that it might cater to, to only, um, touring professionals, but that's, that's not true. It's not really my intent. I still have a lot of work to do with it, but I, I definitely have the content and the ability to, um, help people understand how they can get better. And that's kind of my passion. And, and I, I enjoy that. I know that you and I share that. Um, you know, and, and then there's one other thing I'd like to say about, about that. Uh, and that is, um, part of my, part of my mission is to explain, you know, I think that there is, there still is a social stigma that's attached to, uh, sports psychology and mental training. Um, and it, it really ends up filtering when people and athletes and even parents sometimes hear, hear those words, it kind of filters you toward clinical psychology, which may mean that, or, or indicate that, you know, there's something wrong with you or you have a problem. Um, and if that's the case, um, you know, mental skills practitioners, uh, for the most part, uh, even myself, we're, we're trained to be able to refer, you know, in those situations, you know, it might be the case, but, um, in, in, in sport, that's not what we're after. You know, we're not there. We're not there for the clinical side. We're there for uh, performance enhancement. Um, and I feel that, that we should be doing a better job um, sort of communicating through our sport um, how to use the sport situations and then correctly um, correctly pair them with the mental training mechanisms, if that makes sense. And so, um, but doing it in a way that really communicates well with the athlete and the athlete will be understanding, um, you know, how they can, how they can get better in their sport using sports psychology and not feeling like they're just simply sitting on a couch uh, talking about their problems or the only things that we talk about are 
areas where you're messing up, you know, really you could come in there having won championships and say, how do I want to get better? Um, and there are mechanisms for that, um, that are very practical. And so anyway, I think it's super fun. And, but I think that's something that needs to be communicated just a little bit better on our end as the practitioners. So, um, interesting challenge. Love it. I love it. Coach, thank you incredibly for joining the show today, for sharing some insight into your world and obviously the importance of competition, not only in your sport, but what those skills translate to away from the game. Jake, I appreciate it very much. It's been a privilege and uh, I hope we can do it again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Compete Every Day podcast. To learn more, visit CompeteEveryDay.com. To connect with Jake or contact the show, email us at podcast at CompeteEveryDay.com. And as always, keep competing every day to be better than you were yesterday.